just saying about Jesus being our living hope, which means he's alive. He was raised from the dead. And someone may ask, how do you know he was raised from the dead? I'm like, well, because the tomb is empty. Well, how do you know the tomb is empty? Well, the scripture says so. Well, how do you know the scripture says so? Well, because history records it and eyewitness after eyewitness. And Jesus did what everybody on the planet who doubts God wants them to do. Well, if God were real, why don't he just show up and prove himself? Okay. If God showed up right now and said, I'm God, would you believe him? No. What would he have to do? Would he have to do something only God could do? Like what? Uh, I don't know. Make control the weather. Okay, check. I don't know what else. Uh, cause the blind to see. Check. Heal the lame. Check. Live perfectly and never say or do anything wrong. Check. How about this? Raise from the dead and appear to hundreds of people, and then just let people watch him ascend into heaven, and have nothing but eyewitness after eyewitness. Guess what? There were those who were eyewitnesses to these things that they say, we want God to show up and prove himself. They saw it with their own eyes and there were hundreds, thousands of people who still didn't believe. But for those who have hope, who have faith, who know that our faith is not blind, but it is sure our hope is living and Jesus is alive today. And because of him rising from the dead, everything that he did for us, all of our sins being promised to be wiped away, you can have assurance that they have been. Because he rose from the dead and he said it was finished upon the cross, he's at the right hand of the Father, you can have assurance and confidence that what we're about to do right now, which is pray, come boldly before God and ask him to help us. You can have assurance that we can do that without fear, knowing that God's gonna accept us, even with our mistakes and our failures. So let's collectively as a church, let's go together before the throne and ask God to help us this morning. Father, too often that I forget that it was you, Father. You loved the world and you sent your only son. God, you are judge. God, you will make everything right, but it is you who are loving. And Jesus was faithful and obedient to what your heart's desire was, and that was to save your people from their sins. You are so kind, so merciful. And in your choosing and in your unconditional love, you pursue us, even when we're enemies to you and running from you. So if there's someone listening, even someone here right now that maybe believes that you're not good, that you don't love them, you would you'd remove that lie and help them see your love demonstrated in your son, Jesus. Be patient with us this morning as you always are. Open our hearts and minds to receive the word that we desperately need every single day. Help us to receive it in humility and give you the honor and glory for all that you do this morning in Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Church, it is good to see you. I want to wish you all a a belated Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we are starting, yes, a new year. I saw a meme that made me laugh. Maybe you saw it as well. But it was a meme that says, is anybody else uncomfortable that the next year after 2020 is 2021? And it was spelled 2020WON. Get it? 2021 I laughed at that because it's the perspective that many people have right now is this idea that this year that has passed is somehow uh, a check mark for the enemy. 
And you even see like as you watch TV, like the dating app or like the devil signing up with 2020. It's like the perfect match. And, and the devil in 2020 are like just living it up, not wanting the year to end. And the perspe- perspective is, is, is the enemy has come along and he's won. And this is just a year that's like a check mark for the devil. 2021. Well, did it? Did it win? But here's what I do know. I do know each and every single one of us in some way or another look back at that year and it will really go down in the yearbooks as a, as a I'm going to say the word. I'm going to say it because I know you've never heard it and you're not tired of hearing it. An unprecedented time. Right? Oh, really? He's going to talk? We, come on. Can't we just be done with 2020? Well, hey, listen. Just because the, 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 the clock changes doesn't mean that the hardships from that year automatically stop. We know that. But what 2020 represents, 2020 represents the reality of life. I think, I think, I think sometimes if we're looking back at this year and we're thinking that somehow it was strange, different, then I think maybe our perspective on how life really is is maybe skewed. Peter actually told believers that don't think it's strange when fiery trials come up against you to test you. Don't think it's strange. 2020 is a year that may have tempted all of us to become impatient. Impatient, which is actually what we're going to talk about this morning, is being patient and and responding to impatience. 2020 definitely would try our patience. When you reflect back on the year, what do you see happening in your own heart, your own mind? What has this year done for you? What are the thoughts, the feelings, and the responses that experiencing the things that we have as a result of virus and election and pain and frustration and arguing, life being changed, jobs being lost, money tanking, all all types of scenario that would cause stress in our life that would be problematic, that would be challenging, some more than others. How have you responded to it? If I said, do you feel like it was testing your patience? Would you be like, oh yeah, I know I would, for whatever reason or another. You know, when I think about impatience, there's there's this story in my life that I think about a time, and it's funny how things stick with you, because I have to go back to a time when I was a teenager, and I was at my house, and I was by myself, and I was hungry. Such a simple, quick moment of my life that has stuck with me since. And any time someone talks about patience or impatience, this is what I think about. And I want, you to, I want you to go back with me. I think I'm probably 15 or 16, and I'm hungry. I'm hungry, man. And, and you know, teenagers know how to forage, right? So I'd probably just eaten like a whole meal 30 minutes before this. But either way, I was hungry, And one of the only things I could find was cans of tuna. And I'm like, ooh, I do like tuna. It's not the first choice, but it's food, so let's eat this thing. So I get the can of tuna. And I'm like, okay, now I need a uh, a can opener. I'm looking around, looking around. Can't find a can opener. Where's the can opener? I need a can opener. I'm hungry. I gotta get this thing open. A can opener. Come on, what's it? A can opener. I'm looking every, everywhere. I cannot find this can opener anywhere. So now I'm becoming impatient. So you know what I do? I get a steak knife and I start like stabbing it into this can of tuna. And all I'm doing is I'm making these little dent marks and these little bitty holes and it's not going anywhere. I'm trying everything I can. So I'll throw that away and I'm like, oh, I get a thicker knife. And I start poking it and it's just, and I keep going. I probably go through like four different knives. I try multiple different things. I'm banging it. Little, little tuna juice is going everywhere. And you know what I do? The, the point of impatience 
built for me. As I was trying to suffer through getting this little thing that I wanted and I couldn't get it. And next thing you know, I walk outside, I open the screen door and I take it like a Frisbee and I just chuck it. And I watch this can of tuna, like a UFO, disappear into the sky. And as this can of tuna is flying off into the sky, I'm thinking to myself, you are an idiot. So I go inside and I stay hungry to the time mommy comes home and helps me find something to eat. Impatience. What do you think of? What's the moment of your life when you think of being impatient? We all have them. And we have the funny moments, right? But let's get a little more serious. What about the times in life where life gets real? 2020 for an example. Or maybe something comes your way personally that's extremely hard and trying. And you feel within you this overwhelming sense of impatience building. What's it tempting you to do? Lash out in anger? What's it causing you to do? Wanting to give up on something? Give up on the marriage? Give up on your kids? Give up on your job? Give up on trying? Just giving up on caring? Right? Sometimes just impatience builds and it manifests itself in different ways. We come to the book of James, which is where we're going to be today. Title the message, Be Patient. And you're going to see in our first verse, the very first two words is be patient. Tell us something about James. James being the half-brother of Jesus. He was a great leader in the Jerusalem church. And not long after he wrote this letter to the scattered churches abroad from Jerusalem, not long after it, James is killed. History tells us he's brought to the temple and thrown down, broke both of his legs, and then he's pelted and covered with rocks till he dies because he stood for Jesus. So as James is writing this book to people who would be tempted to become impatient and not endure hard times and sufferings, and they would let the circumstances around them close in on them and shatter their faith. This is really what's at stake when you live life and you have experience after experience of hardship. Eventually they build on you. And what is it producing within you? Is it producing endurance and patience? Or is it producing in you a trajectory where you're like, man, I know if I keep experiencing this, I'm going to lose it. going to lose it. This is the real experience of life. And I know when we come to church and the pastor or the preacher opens the word, a lot of times the last thing we want to hear about is suffering and sin and pain and trials. Like, man, I'm growing impatience, impatient of always hearing about that. Come on, give me something good. I challenge you, study any book of the Bible and see if it doesn't mention the reality of the suffering and the pains of life. Because every single day when I wake up, you know what I'm dealing with? I'm dealing with my own sin, my own failure, the hardships, the struggles, and the reality of suffering in life. And everything inside of me wants to ignore it and make life a fantasy and make earth, heaven. Every effort does not accomplish that. So anytime we open this, we're going to find hope for the reality of life that we experience. James is going to give us some hope. Here's what I want us to give us this morning. I want to give us five patient alternatives to faith shattering impatience. And that is what, that is what is at stake If we allow our circumstances and we allow our impatience to win, it shatters and it destroys our faith. And we'll see that. The book of James is written in the very beginning of the book. Many of you know that that passage in the first chapter where James says something crazy. Let me read it. He says this. This is super crazy. It's in chapter one. And he says this. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So at the very beginning, James is setting up the reality of life. And he says something crazy like, count it all joy. You need to start looking at your perspective of suffering a little differently. Count it a joyful thing that this 2020 and the 2020s of life that you may experience on a daily basis are doing something inside of you if you let it. It's producing in you the very thing we're going to talk about today, steadfastness, patience, not giving up. And then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without a reproach. And the rest of the book is James showing wisdom. Here's what the life of someone who truly has faith looks like. First thing I want you to look at, I'm going to put a quote on the screen. The quote says this, I want something to be done now. So here's an impatient response to maybe something like 2020 or impatient response to the circumstances of life that are pretty hard. You ever felt like this? I want something to be done now. You're seeing something happening. You're looking out in the world or you're looking in your life and you're seeing some type of injustice or you're seeing some type of struggle or trial or persecution come your way or in the world and inside you, everything wants to fight. I want something to be done now. Impatience, if it wins, will cause you to take matters into your own hand. But James says this, as you're living on earth, the first alternative to this type of impatience you need to have when you feel this way is to first wait confidently for Jesus to return. Wait. Look what he says there in verse seven of chapter five. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. You see, when James wrote this point, starting in verse seven, he had just got done talking to the rich, the rich people who oppress people and who take advantage of people. And he gave them strong warning that their life will corrode just like their silver and their gold. James talked about in his book earlier, not to show, show partiality to the rich, but a warning to the rich to exalt in the humility of your lowly reality of life. But then he comes to verse seven here, and it's like he's talking to those who are being oppressed. Where in your life do you feel like you're being oppressed, taken advantage of? What's over you that's causing you to stress, to want to give up, to build impatience within you? What's causing you to want to take matters into your own hand and say, I can't wait any longer. Something needs to be done now. James says this, be patient, be be, be patient. And then in your patience, patience would involve this waiting, waiting patiently and confidently for Jesus to return. Now, why in the world would that be a proper alternative to impatience? It's kind of like, duh, of course. But what is it about looking to the return of Jesus, which the Bible says he is coming back and it is imminent. And when James wrote this, the people were very expectant that Jesus could return any moment. 
or 2,000 years later, how much closer are we to Jesus returning than when James wrote this? It's even more true. And the expectation and the anticipation and the confidence that Jesus is going to come back should be growing in us even more so. But why should this be a focus of us when we experience the 2020s of life? Because what does it mean when Jesus comes back? Everything that you see that is catastrophically wrong with the world is going to be fixed when Jesus comes back. It is your living hope. It is your reality that everything that I see that is wrong with the world now, the evil and the injustice and everything that seems to be growing and prevailing, it seems like nothing I do, it makes it go away. Nothing makes it stop. There's still people progressing evil and more evil in the world. And look what's happening to me. Look at this. Look, I can't stand it. World shouldn't be this way. You're right. It shouldn't be this way. And Jesus has promised, I'm coming back to bring recompenses to everyone. And everything that you think that's going on right now that's going unnoticed and unpunished, don't worry, I'm going to deal with it. That's why you look to the return of Jesus because everything will be made right one day. But you also take the example of the farmer, James says. He says this, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit Of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. There's there's something to know within that analogy there. Like a farmer goes out and he plants the seed, and all he can do is wait. What is in his control, the farmer? It's the planting, and then what? The waiting. He's completely dependent on the rain to come and cause the seed to take root and to start to sprout and germinate both the early rains that gets it going and the later rain that sustains it. The farmer's completely dependent on that. All he can do is wait, but he knows it's going to come. And so James is saying, be like that. Listen, the 2020s of life and the cans of tuna in your life, whatever it may be for you that you know, you know, as I'm saying it right now, you're thinking about that person or that job or that scenario, whatever it is that is tempting you to just lose control, shatter your faith, cause you to be like, I'm done being that Christian guy or girl. James says, wait, wait. Jesus is coming back. And there's something that I want to produce within you. And I've left you here on planet earth. Read the rest of James. You'll see that God's goal is to leave you here and produce something within you that will be evident now for others to see. And it is very important that you go through these trials because these trials will produce the very patience and the things that you need. Be patient. Wait confidently for Jesus to return. What about this? Maybe, maybe some of you are thinking this though. I don't think I can last. I get it. Wait, be patient. But I don't think I can handle what I'm experiencing any longer. Ever been tempted to say this? Maybe you feel this way right now. Maybe you're watching and you're like, dude, you're, you're saying exactly what's going through my head. It seems like every day. I I don't know how much longer I can take this. Well, look what he says in verse eight. Look what, look what James says in verse eight. He says, you also be patient And then he says this, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. That's the point that I want you to focus on. And here's basically 
what he's saying. And this is the second point. This is the second alternative to impatience. If you're feeling like I can't last, what you need to do right now in the moment is determine right now to never break. James is like saying, do what you must right now. Don't wait for it to get worse, but establish, strengthen your own heart right now and determine now that you're not going to break. Now here's the juxtaposition of scripture. The scripture puts responsibility on us, but the scripture also helps us grow in humility and the responsibility of growing and being strong and strengthening our heart. Yes, that's the command and that's what we should do, but we should always find out later that we can't do that on our own. At any time that our hearts strengthen or we grow, it is God at work within us. But we do have this responsibility that when we are facing impatience and we're facing the 2020s of life, whatever it may be for you, that it's important right now to get rid of the thinking that I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not going to do it. You're literally going to speak that reality into existence. Who do you have on your side? Who's with you? Who has promised that every trial and every experience you go through will, like the life of Joseph, be turned for good? Who is it that is saying and has shown you, you don't see what's in your future. You don't see how I'm going to use this. You don't see who's later down the road that you're going to meet that I'm going to bring to you. That's going to be at the last leg, just like you are. And I'm going to bring them to you so you can comfort them with the comfort I've given you. You must endure. You must endure. This so much bigger than you just hurting and not hurting. There's so much more to it. I'm going to use it for your good. You can go through this if I'm with you. So you strengthen your hearts now and determine I don't care what's going to happen. Yeah, I can sit here and think about what's going to happen in America and the world with coronavirus and the second string and uh, finances and the co- economy and whatever, whatever, whatever. God's already told me there's going to be trouble in this world. Already, I'm, I've already been told that it's going to get worse and worse. I already know that technically there's nothing I can do about changing the morality of the world because the world does not know God. The best I can do is wait patiently be a believer, shine light so that God through me can rescue someone's heart and bring them out of darkness, which is the only thing that will bring change to this world. And so I'm going to determine right now that no matter what happens, I'm not going to break. I'm not going to give up on my faith. I'm not going to give up. Too many people are giving up and walking away. Didn't Jesus say something about soils and seed, four different kinds, and there's only one? There's only one that's real? There's, there's one the enemy comes and snatches away the word before it can even take root. But there are two other types of soil. There's the person who hears the word of God and receives it in faith joyfully and believes. But then the moment that the thorns of life come and choke it out, the cares and the love of the world cause them to give up on their faith. And there's another one that's on rocky soil and the sun beats down on that person and the hardships And the tribulation and the pain of life causes that person to give up because life's just too hard. The roots aren't deep, but the soil that lasts is the one that through all of it, through the sun and through the rain and through the tribulation, no matter what, the the roots are deep. And the only thing that seems to happen, the more it rains and the sunnier it gets is more and more fruit is produced. And what type of fruit are we talking about here? Chapter three, James says this. Let me go back to it. One page. Chapter three, James says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Who who is it that really has faith is what he's saying. Who is it that really has their roots deeply sunk into the soil of Christianity and God's word? 
Who is it that's authentic? That's one thing James is pointing out is the authenticity of faith. How do you want to know? How do you know? He says this, by his good conduct, let him show you his work and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But look what he says in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The authentic believer, the one who endures through all the hardships, seems to only grow and grow and grow and produce more and more fruit. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is a, is a character and a conduct and an and a attitude that pours forth from those who say they have faith and they show it by in the midst of the hardship, nothing but gentleness and peace and joy comes out. Self-control, all of these things, evidence that the Spirit's within us. And this is what God is doing as hard times in 2020s come our way. We don't act like something strange is happening. We know what God's doing. He's doing something through it. So determine now you're never going to break. Here's another thing that's tempting. Here's another impatience that is tempting every single one, especially the church of God, as we experience hard times. Maybe this, maybe as suffering is going on in the world, you're tempted to say this, point the finger and say, this is your fault, your fault. Man, if only you're the issue, you're the problem. Vote different, be different, say different, think different. Not me. If, if my brothers and sisters were more like this, we wouldn't have this issue going on. That's the temptation when suffering in the world comes up, that's not the church's fault. We tend to turn on each other. And so look what he says. It's the patient alternative to that temptation in verse nine. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This one's, this one's hard for me, right? Because when I read this, my mind is flooded with the moments of my life when I'm gossiping and I'm murmuring about my brothers and sisters and I'm taking the stance that I'm the judge and I know what's best and I'm gonna sit there and point my finger or point my heart and act like I've got everything right. If these other people would just fall in line with what I'm doing, everything would be great. Although we may not literally say that to ourselves. We believe that and thinking that when, when suffering comes along, we just want, we want to cast blame, cast the blame on the people who are closest to us. And he says here, the motivation to not do this, the motivation to not do this, we must resist turning on one another because he says here, so that you will not be judged. I don't know fully what that looks like, whether that judgment is now or whether it's later or a little bit of both, but it seems to be a great motivation. Like, hey, listen, James is saying, don't do this or judgment's gonna fall upon you. We do know that Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, meaning that the same judgment you put on someone, you better be ready. If you're ready to judge someone character or judge them, you better be ready. You're not gonna receive mercy. That same judgment is gonna come straight to you, to us. 
It is very important that when times are hard, we resist turning on one another. And if I can be honest, from my own perspective, what I have seen, especially through 2020, is like this cataclysmic divide in the church where people are like taking little clicks and stances and pointing a finger across at every other little group. Man, I've seen this bubble up and build up. And James is like, same thing with the church in the, in the, in the early church as well. The same thing was happening. They were suffering and they were arguing and complaining and grumbling against each other. And James is saying, listen, you're pointing your finger at the wrong people. You got to go through this together. And, and guess what? You know how you go through it together? It's not that you are all on the exact same page. You're doing everything the same way. It's that you show mercy to one another. Because guess what? You're all in the mud. We're all sinners. We all have fallen short. And we all have been in great need of mercy and compassion. Remind you of the parable that Jesus gave of the man who was forgiven a debt, hundreds of millions of dollars. A debt so huge, even from money stances, especially in this day, it was hard to even comprehend. Freely forgiven. Oh man, how that would feel to have that type of weight taken off your shoulders. And Jesus says, but then that man who's forgiven goes to one of his servants who owes him like a month's wage, like $500, chokes him and pushes him up against the wall and says, pay me what you owe me. And the guy gets down on his hands and knees and he begs for mercy, please forgive me. And he throws him in jail. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said the master of that man who was first forgiven heard about what he did to his servant, called him back. And he said, you wicked servant. I had mercy and compassion and forgiveness on you. Shouldn't you not have also done the same thing from someone else? And so what he did, he said, he took that person, he threw him into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is so serious that Jesus even says, forgive if you want to be forgiven. If you don't forgive others, your debts, I won't forgive you. This is so paramount to being a Christian showing mercy and showing forgiveness to every single person in your life, regardless of how much of a debt and offense they have against you, because there's no debt and offense against you. That's bigger than the one that God had against you and he forgave you. So God says, this isn't about being right or wrong. We're all wrong. I came in and secured it through the rightness of Jesus and made you right and made you mine. And I'm enduring evil for a time. You look out into the world and you see the evil going on. God knows it. And he knows when he's coming back. He is enduring and putting up and patiently waiting and allowing evil so that others can come to the knowledge of the truth. And he's gonna bring others into the fold through us as light in the world. But we can't do that if we're showing through our attitude with one another that the gospel isn't real. Who is it right now as we're talking? Who is it that you're tempted to be like, man, that person, mm. family member? Someone in this room, who is it? Listen, I'm telling you, there is no excuse. If you know Jesus or say you do and you have been forgiven, there is no offense that can come against you that you don't have to forgive and and show mercy and compassion to. Don't throw that person in prison. Don't throw them in prison because the warning is that judgment will then come upon us if we're not willing to do that. That, see, that's a sign of impatience. That's a sign of your circumstances getting to you. That's a sign of I'm failing the test because God tests our faith. This is what all of this is. Your experience in life is God saying, okay, you say you believe in me. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to prove that it's genuine. You pass the test through your circumstances. Maybe you're tempted to blame people, resist turning on one another. That's the alternative for we know judgment is coming. Maybe, maybe impatience 
through the 2020s of life will get you to say this. I'm ashamed of God's word. Maybe these circumstances of life are putting you in a situation where you're like, man, I know I need to be more vocal. I'm being more put in positions where I need to speak up for God. And I'm starting to experience that I don't really want to say what God says. I'm starting to look out and I'm very acquainted with worldliness. I, I very much understand and know the hearts and the minds of a person. And I very much understand and know of what will happen if I say what God says, especially to this person or this group of people who don't believe the way I believe, unbelievers. And, and they'll think that I'm a bigot or they'll think that I'm mean or I'm unloving. And so the temptation then of impatience is to be like, I'm just, I'm, I'm ashamed of God's word. And so I've got to find a way to say the truth maybe in a way that's acceptable or I just won't say it at all. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I also will be ashamed of as well. The greatest expression of love that the world needs is God's unfiltered truth. It is the most loving thing that can happen. And Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. So what's the alternative to filling the impatience and the exposure of maybe us struggling to say the right things during these hard times, knowing that it will bring some type of form of persecution and mockery. What's, what's the alternative? It's this, accept joyfully the pains of speaking on behalf of God. Look what he says here in verse nine. He says, he says do not grumble, but then he says in verse 10, sorry, as an example of suffering and patience. You see it? An example of how to suffer and be patient. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Read through the Bible. You know what you'll find about those who took the stand and said, you know what? I'm going to be a messenger for God and I'm going to say what God says. You know what happened? You always see mockery and persecution and anger come from those whom they're speaking to because God's word and speaking on behalf of God confronts people. It sheds light, causes you to look high and mighty and people will say, get off your high horse. Or it causes them to say, you bigot. Or it causes them to say, you're not loving. That's not how you love people. This is how you accept people. And the world is constantly trying to tell you that what you believe is evil and mean-spirited And what the world has to offer in acceptance and love is the true, real, loving way. I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone in the world who's given up their only son for me. God has proven that he has the way of love and he is the one who has made everything. He's determined what's right and what's wrong. And we're the ones who've gone astray and said, I want to live life the way I want to live it. Listen, the world of suffering, the 2020s that we live on, is a result of us getting to do what we want. The world we experience now is the world where we said, peace, God, we don't want you. We want this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God says, okay, I'm gonna let you have exactly what you want. Go out and live life the way you want it without me and see what happens. And thank goodness God doesn't leave us in that. He pursues us. And he's constantly inserting himself and chasing us and following us. 
and saying, I'm here for you. Wasn't it God's word? Wasn't it the, the word of God that reached our hearts and saved us and brought us to a place of asking for forgiveness and repentance? Why in the world would we be ashamed to tell that to other people? Maybe you're tempted to think and, and see the moments of impatience where you're like, man, I just, I just can't do this. I got to I got to either not say what I believe or I got to try, try to find a way. And I think it's really what we try to do. He said, there's, I, I'm too aware of how offensive God's word is. So I'm always constantly trying to find a way where it's palatable for people. And if we're not careful, we'll water it down to where it's not even God's word. I'm not saying you got to go out and be mean spirited because Jesus would speak the truth in love. They both go hand in hand. Where is it in your life where you may feel the impatience of this brewing? Be strengthened and accept. And why do I say joyfully? Because if you look in the New Testament, you see the church that suffered and was mocked on behalf of God. They thought, man, they were like jumping up and down and praising God that they were even counted worthy to suffer for him. So we need to change our perspective. Take our eyes off the trees and the faces in front of us. Look past the trees to the summit of where Jesus is standing and looking down on us and smiling and receiving such a pleasing response from us as he sees us suffering on his behalf and accept that joyfully. He says here, we consider those blessed who suffered and were patient as they spoke in the name of the Lord. But your circumstances around you and especially the enemy wants to do everything he can to beat you into submission to not bring up and speak God's word. How about this? This is the culmination though. This is the culmination of hard times and all of this, of what we're tempted to say. This is the culmination of faith shattering impatience right here is to conclude this. How could a loving God let this happen to me? Where is it you're tempted to say this? Where is it in your life that you've experienced? Maybe the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a, a volatile spouse situation. Maybe it's, it's children that are run amok and that are prodigal. Maybe it's uh, finances, whatever it may be. What is it in your, your life that you keep experiencing or are experiencing that is tempting you to lose patience and say something like this? Man, God, why are you letting this happen to me? I thought you said you're loving. I thought you should care for me. Impatience will conclude itself in you making a belief in your mind of faith, believing that God actually isn't good. Look what he says here. Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, some of you are probably thinking, okay, James, you're trying to make a point of how merciful and compassionate God is by bringing up the story of Job. Maybe you stay away from that one before you talk to me about God being merciful and compassion. And if we say that, it just goes to show you our misunderstanding of scripture. It goes to show you the perspective we already have. We look at the book of Job and we immediately conclude God's harsh. He says there, you have seen the purposes of the Lord. He's making the point. He brings up Job to say, you've already seen in the life of Job. You see it clearly, almost fell. You see it clearly what God was doing in Job's life. Yeah, the enemy came and ravaged his life. What, did, what was the example of Job? He remained steadfast. He wouldn't even let his wife 
convince him to curse God and die. And all of the bad advice of his friends, he endured it. And then Job got to plead his case. And what did he learn from God? I don't know anything. He said, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And God showed through the life of Job that he cared for him and that he knew his heart and that he knew that he would pass the test. And and what was the finality of Job's life? It was more blessing and more rewards, which is an example of what will happen to all of us as we remain faithful and we suffer patiently. You see, I think sometimes we think that by giving up on God, somehow we're, we're leaving suffering. That, that, that's what's ironic is you can never get away from suffering on this earth. And, but, but somehow the enemy convinces us if you leave God, the suffering will stop. No, if you leave God, the suffering will continue and the suffering will be pointless. With God, every single ounce of pain you have is purposeful. Every single suffering that you go through, every single injustice and oppression, the Lord is seeing every single bit of that and it is rising to him as a sweet smelling aroma and sacrifice and it pleases him. And it is working for you a completely greater glory that is to be revealed when you stand before him. With Christ, every bit of suffering is purposeful. Without him, you still will suffer and life will have no meaning and you will be depressed and you will go back into the pit and the void of darkness of wondering why you even exist. And you'll wake up every morning trying to simply distract yourself with things from that pit of darkness in your stomach that's telling you, you know, you were made for a reason. Don't give up on God. That's what James is saying. Don't let your circumstances cause you to think this way. God is merciful and compassionate merciful. His mercies are new every single morning. Look what he's done for you in Jesus. Look at what he puts up all the time. Look at how he helps us. We're going to grow impatience, impatient as we experience life. But God gives us some alternatives of how to respond to them. How are you guys doing with it? Where are you at? Where are you at? I want to leave you with this. I know a message like this, if we're not careful, because we're even flawed in how we hear and how we apply God's word. And I'm trying to do my best to speak properly on behalf of God because I'm also aware of what chapter three says in verse James, let not many of you become teachers knowing you'll give stricter judgment. So I stand up here talking to you also scared, even in my heart, afraid I'm gonna say something wrong. And I wanna represent God right because I will give greater judgment. Whatever that means, either way, it scares me. Anytime we have a passage like this, Especially you go through the book of James, you can be like, oh man, I, I, gotta, I gotta work for my salvation, man. I'm just under complete, utter judgment right now and like, there's nothing I can do and I can feel this utter sense of condemnation as I just think about where I need to improve constantly. Our hearts are really good at taking the grace of God and just like scratching it off the surface of our life. So basically this is a message, message that says, don't give up, keep going. But, but let's be honest here. We fall all the time, do we not? I want you to imagine if I were to get some of you up on stage and, and you held a plank. You know what a plank is? Where you get on your arms, you put your feet out and you, you tense your muscles in your core. I said, how long could you hold that? I bet many of you, maybe, maybe you could go a minute, maybe two minutes, and then you'd collapse under the pressure and the weight. You'd give up. Yeah, actually, I looked it up. The world record plank is over eight hours, which is phenomenal. 
but still it came to an end. There's only so much human exertion can do. And if we, if we go away from a message or a passage or a book like this thinking, I've just got to hold that plank longer, then we will completely miss the grace of God that's there for us when we're constantly falling. Actually, life is more like this. Life is more like Jesus is like, I want you to be like me. And Jesus is over there holding this perfect eternal plank. He's like, you be like me. And so we get beside him and we hold the plank and we're looking at him. But then we start looking at the things around us and then, then we feel the, the intensity through our body and we collapse. And then we, we sit on the edge and we beat ourselves up. We're like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And all of a sudden Jesus is like, hey, whoa, 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 look at me. And he's saying, hey, I've already secured this for you. I'm holding this for you. So when you fall, you haven't fall, fallen because I'm holding it for you. I'm the keeper and I keep you. So get back up. You're forgiven. Get back up and keep growing in me. Next thing you know, so you get back up and you do the plank. Next thing you're about 10 seconds longer. You're starting to hold it longer, just like him. And guess what? You fall again. And time and time and time again in life, you're constantly trying to not give up and hold that plank. And you feel the pressures of life and you fall. And every single time Jesus is there to say, I have secured your soul and you are always forgiven. My mercy never comes to an end. And I am holding this for you. You just keep your eyes on me on the summit get back here and grow in my grace and in my knowledge. So as we experience the 2020s of life and we do and will feel impatience when, and we will grumble against one another. We will question God's goodness. We will say there's no hope and we won't find any comfort by waiting for Christ. We will start to think I can't handle this. Impatience will win as long as we're in these bodies and we're groaning. But do not utterly fall and give up and walk away from the one who is over here keeping you and holding the very thing that you can't. He's wanting you to pass the test of the hardship and through the trials, if you let it, will grow you into the image and the light bearing life giving believer, little Jesus that God has left you here on planet earth for. And it's for a little while. And after this all perishes and fades away and is made right, God will, your life will be eternity, eternity of no suffering, no pain, no death, no tears with the one who's made all of this and who gave himself for you. And our eyes and our movies and our imaginations and our books and our best authors can't even comprehend what is waiting for us. So there is a reason to endure and not give up. Let's do it together, church. Let's pray. Father, you know what our hearts need. You know what each person's going through. You know where there's pain. You know where there's questioning. You know where there's lies of the enemy. There's depression and there's anger and there's impatience. You see it all and you love us through it all. I pray that you would help us to strengthen our hearts, to determine to live our life for you for the rest of our days and together in unity with one mind, singing praises to your name. We will go about 2021, 2022, 2023, all the way until you're coming back. We will never stop because you are worthy. You are worth it all. And everything we go through is something we can joyfully accept and say, thank you for letting me to suffer on behalf of your name. God, help me honor you through it all. God, you're worthy. Help us to understand that's what worship is, is expressing how worthy you are. 
and we'll show that by our life. But God, we need your help. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.